Welcome to Unbreakable Spirit, stories of inspiring and thriving with Jennifer Seven, co-author of a book that is part of the Sisterhood Folios, a number one international bestseller. This is a podcast about real women who've overcome tremendous obstacles and come out on the other side to thrive. Whether their hardships were financial, relational, or health, these women dug deep and found the light out of the dark to rise from the ashes, to find the ability to forgive, to love, and to live an authentic, joyful life. Now, here is your host, Jennifer Seven. Welcome, Unbreakable Spirit listeners. I am very pleased to have a special guest this morning. I have Julie Prashad Ramirez, who is a financial coach, a business consultant, mentor, and speaker. Julie helps families every day achieve their financial freedom. Not only is she a great coach, but she specializes in helping families with debt management, debt resolution, retirement planning, life insurance, setting up those kids' college accounts, and just about any other financial goals and needs that they might have. And what is really phenomenal is that her services are complimentary. Now, she's a mom and a wife, and she treats all of her clients just like part of her family, which is the best kind of person you want in your corner. Julie, I am super excited to have you here this morning. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me and allowing me the opportunity to tell my story. I hope it it helps other people with what they're going through, and I I hope they feel they feel what what I'm I, I was going through. And you have a really compelling story, and I got from your story is just how very important this financial piece is to our well being, because you went through a lot, and I'm going to let you share that story of what really set you on this path. But also, you went through a lot, and that's another unbreakable spirit for us here today. So if you would just go back in time a little bit and share with us what happened. So in 2006, after trying to conceive our first child, my husband and I were, were struggling with that. And we finally were able to get pregnant in 2005. We had my daughter. It was an exciting time because my parents had came to this country. They worked really hard made a lot of sacrifices. And so they were really ready to slow down and become grandparents. And so it was like an exciting, just an emotional time because so much goes into to that process. But in shortly after my mom's 50th birthday, October 2005, shortly after I, I gave birth to my daughter, she came to help me get back into the workforce, uh, you know, transition from maternity leave back into working. And she came to stay with me, my daughter and I and, and my husband, and she just kept saying she wasn't feeling well. And we just thought it was a pinched nerve. Well, one day I got a call at work that they were trying to reach me to let me know that my mom was at the hospital and that they found out that she has a tumor. That's why she was having a lot of trouble. And this mm-hmm. tumor was in her brain, which, as you know, is the most critical part of your body. It, it controls everything. Yes. So that was shocking. We're an Indian family. I've never had anybody have cancer that's been close to me. My mom's been very healthy. We never ate out. She was, it was just odd to me that, that 
she would have a tumor. And, well, and what, what got her to the hospital that day? What was happening? So she kept saying that she couldn't write her name. And I was like, and I took her to the doctor and I was like, well, you know, prior to that, I took her to the do- urgent care and I said, she can't write. So they thought maybe it was a pinched nerve. But this time, I guess she felt like something was wrong. Like after so many weeks, your intuition mm-hmm. kicks in and you're like, something's not right. Yeah. I'd, um, I'd be thinking maybe a small stroke or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so unusual because I kept thinking it was just a pinch nerve, pinch nerve. Like, what do you mean you can't write your name? What do you mean you can't do this? And it triggered her to go to the, to the hospital, to the ER and I got a call the day before Thanksgiving at work, um, basically saying that they're trying to get a hold of me, that my mom has a brain tumor and I need to come home right away. Oh boy. So I, I did, I, I got everything together and I went and I went home and I found out she had a tumor. It was the size of, I think it was a quarter Um, and this was right before Thanksgiving, the day before. So we had to wait till after that holiday went through to find out more information. And then it just snowballed from there. We found out very shortly after she had a biopsy that it was cancer. We'd never heard about cancer in our family. We didn't know anybody close to us that had cancer. And for her to have it was just overwhelming. And then she had her biopsy. She walked into the hospital, but then when she had the biopsy, she lost like a lot of mobility and she couldn't walk out. So that was hard because we didn't know what to do and where to go and how, how do you even tackle this? And I had this small baby. So we ended up, she ended up having surgery. We transferred her to Moffitt Cancer Center, which we are incredibly grateful for. But she ended up having surgery on her, on her brain, but she was never really the same. She lost a lot of mobility. She, she couldn't speak. She just was not the same person. And she passed away in November of that following year. It was very, very fast. So it was about a year from diagnosis to when she passed. And Julie, I believe you told me that it was glioblastoma. It was glioblastoma. Um, I did my research. It's the most aggressive type of brain cancer that you can have. And um, it's always terminal, isn't it? There's yeah, no cure. It is, but she, Moffitt was real, really hopeful. They wanted to make sure that they tried alternative things. The hospital she was at, the county hospital, just kind of let her go and was like, there's nothing that we can do, which was heartbreaking because we don't know. We didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So we brought her there and they gave her some experimental drugs, radiation, things that they were trying. And they said she was in remission for a little bit. And then June, it came back. I got a call from her that it's back and it's aggressive. It's even more. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard it described as like uh, having tentacles and it just yes, yes, goes well, into all areas. Yeah. So it's like that. And what it is, is like, it's kind of like when you cut into it, the cancer becomes more aggressive. So it Mm. gets aggressive and it starts spreading more. And so it's not like you can contain it like some things. And then your brain with how much you actually rely on it to do everything with, you know, that's a vital organ in your body. And once you touch that, it's never going to be the same. You're going to lose some sort of functionality. So 
she passes away and that was really, really devastating. Um, I'm sure she was so young and here you are with a baby and you want her to know your mom. Yeah, that was really, really hard. And just not knowing what was going on. And so I ended up having to resign from my job because I, I didn't know what to really do. While you resigned she was, while she was sick so that you could help yeah, her? Yeah, while she was sick, I ended up resigning. I was a manager and I had a lot of responsibilities and I, I was overwhelmed. There's no way I could have been a, a good manager with everything I had going on. So I took the baby, my husband stayed in Tampa and I moved in with them just to try to see what I could find out or help or do or whatever. And we stayed with them for a little bit. And then I went back home to Tampa and then she continued her treatment. And we, after we thought she was getting better, she ended up getting, going back into getting it back again. And this time it was more aggressive. So from July, when she got it, she passed away in November. Of the following year. Of the follow, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very quick. I actually just remember that day. I mean, I, I, I remember, I remember flashes of certain things, but I just remember going there and I was going back to my mom and dad's house and I just couldn't even believe that that had happened. Like it was like a bad dream. I know. And we, we, we relived that day over and over. Yeah. And she was the most nicest, giving, kind-hearted person, just very, very humble. So it was hard to understand how something like that could happen to somebody like her. So that was something that I was, I was struggling with. And then of course the loss, I never had anybody in my family that I've lost so close to me like that. I mean, maybe a grandparent, but I mean, a great grandparent, but, but as far as that, nothing. I don't think there's anything quite like the loss of a mother. No, there isn't. And what's hard is, is that you need your mother at the time that you become a mother. Yes, you do. You don't appreciate them until that happens. And so as I was headed on this new journey, I thought that I was going to be able to have that time with her to share. And I mean, you know, it's different when you are a mom of your own child, you look at your mom so differently. And you can appreciate them so much more. So I was really looking forward to that. I didn't expect it. And then I was grieving too for my daughter because she wasn't like 15 months old when she died. She didn't hardly even know her. And, yeah. and so that was hard. It took a while for us to pick up the pieces from that. I don't think I ever really got over it. I just kept busy. Mm-hmm. And flash forward five years later, I remember my dad came up for Christmas. By then I had had another daughter and he came up for Christmas and, and it was kind of weird. It was like one of the more normal Christmases we had since my mom died. Like ever since she died, it was like, I didn't feel like doing anything, celebrating anything. I didn't, I felt like I, I just felt in mourning all the time. I don't know how to describe it. You were, you were in mourning. You were sad. Yeah, I was sad, but I was keeping it all together. So Mm -hmm. it looked like I would throw myself into work because I eventually started working somewhere else and I was working all the time. And that's just what I did to keep my mind from not thinking about it. But what happens is what I've learned is when you do that and you don't deal with it, 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 it just stays with you longer. And so that particular Christmas, 
five years later, my dad came up. It was a fairly normal Christmas, which was which was weird because we'd been in doom and gloom for a while. Mm-hmm. And then say we drive back to his house and I go to my mother-in-law's to celebrate Christmas. And he's like, Julie, why don't you leave the kids with us? Uh, you know, with him and my brother. And I said, I don't know. It's been a long weekend because I had them up and tired and really wanted to get home. And home was an hour and a half away from there. So long story short, I had a, I had a bad feeling, but I left and I didn't know that was going to be the last time that I'd see him. Mm. So we were supposed to go on vacation for that Christmas break. And I get a call in the morning on my house phone. We had a house phone and a cell phone. So you adjust, it's like the next day from getting back. It was home. like the next, it, it was like, I, and I can't remember specifically, it was Christmas, then it was two days later, he passed on the 27th. Wow. So it was like, I went up there on the 26th, came back. And then early morning of the 27th, I get a call on my house phone, which, you know, can't be good because nobody ever calls house phones anymore. Nobody calls the house phone. And it was my brother. He was in the ambulance with my dad. Wow. Saying to me, Julie, you got to come quick. You got to hurry. And I was an hour and a half away. So I got in the car and I left and I tried to get to him as fast as I could, but I didn't get there in time. I saw him standing outside of the hospital. And um, when I saw him standing out there, I was like, oh, everything's okay. You know, this is your brother that you see standing out. He was 15 at the time, 10 when my mom died. So my brother was standing outside of the hospital and I said, okay, everything's going to be all right. He's all right. Well, my brother grabs my hand, takes me into the hospital. And that's when the doctor tells me the news that my dad didn't make it. So I, I just, I just, I don't even know what to even say at that point. It's like you lose one parent and then you now, now I got to do this again. And now this kid has no parents and he's the one telling me this, you know, he's the one trying to be brave for me. So I think I, my sister got there and then I had to tell her and she had a breakdown in the parking lot. And then we spent about 15 minutes with my dad. And all of a sudden I started to go into this mode. Like I left my dad and I started to start making arrangements and I went back to their house and made sure I locked up things that were valuable. Now you're the oldest I'm the oldest. My sister's 15 months younger than me. And then my brother is like an oops baby. They had, they had him later on. He's the baby, the baby baby of the family. Yeah. Yeah. And up until that point, he, he was like, I was like his second mom. Like we did everything together. We had such a good relationship. Never did I think that, that I would turn into being his like other mom after my mom died. And then taking another parental role after my dad passed. Never in my mind. I just went back to the house and I made arrangements. I don't know how I even did it, how I planned the funeral, how we handled everything, but we got through it. We did it. But I just remember being in that work mode. This like, it's like, this is a job. I got to get this done. And my instincts just kicked in. I think that is so common because there's so much that has to be done. People get into that busy mode because also it distracts you from your grief. Mm -hmm. But then there's 
the day of reckoning comes when all the work is done and then it really hits you. But you had a lot to take care of. You had a house to deal with, your dad's house. You had your brother. What was going to happen with your brother? So My you dad really had, had a- his own business. Oh, um, wow. He had other real estate. He, my mom had life insurance. My dad did not because he had heart complications. Everything was pretty much frozen in the estate process. So that took time. I had to get a lawyer for that to sort all while grieving. Did he have a will? He did have a will. And he was very, very good about this kind of stuff. Like always making sure that we were protected and documented. And did, was all the paperwork where you could find it? Did he keep good records? Not exactly, but something about instinctively, I went, I ran right into his room and I grabbed all of the jewelry, all of his important paperwork, and I loaded it up in my car because I didn't want anyone to, to go through anything after going into that house. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was just an instinct of mine. And that was the right thing to do because things had ended up pop, popping up missing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he didn't have it order in order. It was very, very muddy. He didn't update it after my mom died. At this point, he had now remarried. And oh, okay. At this point, yeah, he had remarried and he somebody else now to deal with. And he was in the process of getting a divorce from that new person. Oh, my goodness. Let's make this even more complicated. Yeah. So there's layers on layers. And he was somebody that was very smart, very practical, organized. So for that to be left like that, a disaster where he's going through now a divorce with this new person, everything's in the estate, the will's not updated. I have the business, I have his house, I have all, all of the arrangements. It was really, really hard. I'm like, I have no idea how I even figured it all out, to be honest with you. I really, really don't know. I just went into some sort of action mode. Superhero mode. Yeah, because at that point, we had had to have a guardianship attorney. We had had to have an estate attorney. And then we had to go after the legalities of the the soon-to-be ex-wife because technically things weren't cleared up. That wasn't a clear cut situation either. And so potentially we had risk of losing everything because of that. This is a lot, a lot. And (laughs) it is a lot. And I think what I want to point out to our listeners is it, it's just, this story is going to tell you that it's so important to have this type of paperwork done and have it in a place where it can be found and know who's going to be your person. Absolutely. Something happens to you because we never know. We never know. Especially if you have people you want to take care of that you put it in place. Yeah. And and we'll talk more about that because I think ultimately all of this led you to where you are now, but this was a lot that you had yeah. to go through. It was a lot. And, and for probably the last up until my brother graduated college and everything I mean I just went into that type of mode I don't know how to describe it it wasn't until like even until recently that I started to have some sort of peace I had such bad anxiety I went through depression it affected my marriage because I had no idea the state of mind that I was in I feel guilt because I feel like I missed out on a lot of stuff with my kids, my, my girls growing up, 
because I don't feel like I remember a lot of moments about it. I couldn't tell you when they they first walked or I, I, I don't have very many memories of it. And that that is so upsetting for me. And you became the guardian of your brother and he moved in with you. Yeah, I had to, I became the guardian with, of my brother, had to go into court and my husband and I just really took on a role that was different. I mean, yes, because now you have a teenage teenager in the house, which is very different from having little ones. So, so different. I mean, just so different. Here I was, he got whatever he want from, wanted from me as his sister. And now I'm his parent and I'm trying to figure out that role. And then he's a teenager going through teenager stuff. And then he's got his own emotions that I didn't know how to deal with. And then I've got my stuff plus two little kids already at home. It's a lot. So I I don't even know really how I survived. I just remember there were times where I was like, man, I was driving home from work. I was like, what would it be like if I could just hit the gas and just get my car over this bridge because I don't want to live like this. So you were getting into a very dark place, very depressed, it sounds like. Very dark, very depressed. And I was like, you know, one time I was like, why didn't God just take me instead of them? Like, I don't understand. I don't, I didn't understand any of it. And I had to, I had to really, it really shook my spiritual, everything that I had learned spiritually really shook me. And so I had to do a lot of processing and evaluation on that, but it took a while to get, to get some, some closure. It took a good five years to get closure on everything. So closure on all of this estate settling. Yeah. It was, the estate took about five years. It was brutal. Um, and you're working and I mean, cause I know it can be almost a full-time job managing all this stuff, right? Cause yeah. it, it sounded like there was a lot that had to be sorted out. Yeah. So I didn't end up going back into a management position. I ended up taking a, a regular desk cubicle job, just so that I could not have the stress of having to work all this overtime and pressure and whatever, and sort that out in the meantime. And raise your family. And raise my family. But little did I know that that job was going to be even more, was even going to make me, put me into an even darker place because it was not what I thought it was going to be. And I didn't have the support system that I needed there you know, people sometimes go to work to escape from things. Well, Mm -hmm. I was having it on both sides and that's hard. Very hard. So it's taking you about five years to settle everything. And then can you start to breathe or what are you doing for your emotional state at this point? Are you still really dark at five years out or? Yeah, I I was very, very dark. So how did you start to heal that? I really started to start going to church more as a family. I really started to open up conversations, trying to understand spiritually why something like this would happen. Because I've always been taught if you're a good person and you do good things and you pray that nothing bad will happen to you. I know that sounds silly, but that's honestly what I thought. And I'm thinking, what did we do wrong as a family? I lost Mm -hmm. my mom and I lost my dad. Like what, what happened? And you start blaming yourself. So yes, like if I'd only done this differently or if we had done this differently. Yeah, absolutely. So it took a lot of talking about certain things. 
trying to get closure as much as I could. But I think at that time, I just, I just really just kept myself busy still. And it really wasn't until probably last year that I started to get into some deep work. Like I wasn't in a dark place, but I had, would have moments of anxiety mm-hmm. and little bouts of depression, but it wasn't like before where I was in a dark, dark place. Did you find that you had to get on any medication or I therapy? Did. I did. I went in and I was, I went into the doctor and they're like, you have a lot on your plate and you really yeah. need to think about medication. It, it'll help you. And I'm like, no, I'm against it. Cause I don't want people to think that I'm crazy. Yeah. Don't we all have that stigma? Yeah, <laughs> we do. I We're do. so I- afraid to get on medications that can help us or, or get that label. Yeah. That you've got a mental health problem. So, you know, something's wrong with you, but honestly, sometimes you, your chemicals in your brain are just not good. And that medication can help. Yeah. And you don't even realize how depressed you were until you're not. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I feel better. I can get up and get going and my feel a little lighter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way she described, I was like, listen, I don't want to be on this. I don't want anyone to know that I'm going through any of this. I can't let the people at work know that something's going on because they'll just think that that's the reason that I'm doing something a certain way. And it's just a lot. Mm -hmm. And she says to me, she said, listen, if you had diabetes and, and you were prescribed medication, would you take it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. She goes, it's the same thing with Mm -hmm. anxiety and depression and mental illness. And I don't know what happened, but that stuck with me. And I started getting on medication to help balance out the serotonin. Right. And (laughs) and I want to just make a point of that here, because for our listeners, that there is help, don't be afraid of medication. It it doesn't have to be necessarily a permanent thing, but it can certainly lift you up out of, out of the darkness and you can feel you can feel better. You can. So don't be afraid of it. Listeners. Don't be afraid of it. If you need it. No, definitely don't. And don't be afraid about the stigma either. I'm, I was really, really worried about what people would think and if they found out and how would they judge me, but you would be so, so surprised. The most, there's a lot of people that are on something for Mm -hmm. anxiety or depression. And when, and when you actually, like you said, start feeling good, you realize how bad you actually were in the past before getting the right help and getting the right tools and, and also therapy and exercise and diet and things like that. Those all played a factor in helping, but eventually I got out of it and, and here we are 2015, my husband and I, I started this business really to, to try to connect with people that went through what, what I had gone through, but not in the same way. I wanted to really be an advocate for them Mm -hmm. um, on the practical side, because sometimes when you're going through something, you don't want to deal with the minutia of what you have to do. And so I really felt like if I could help one person not go through what I did, then it would be worth it for me. And I thought I was pretty financially savvy in the past, but, but I've learned so many things. And with my story, I've learned the importance of sharing that story um, with other people, because I think like, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, people just don't think they don't, nobody realizes 
that life can happen at any moment. I mean, I don't think those families knew last week when they send their kids to school that something terrible was going to happen like mm -hmm. that. You just never, ever, ever know. And so that, that's been my passion. And thankfully, God has led me to people that have been in similar situations that I have in the past, and I've been able to help them out of it. And so that for me was therapeutic, mm -hmm. knowing that it did happen for no reason. Yes. That it, it put this all actually put you on a path mm -hmm. to help yeah, I others. Mean, I mean, so many different aspects from the single dad who just lost his wife now has a small child. Every situation that we were led to people was something was a similarity of something that we had gone through. And it was almost like it was the universe showing me a different perspective of seeing it from another side than what I was seeing it from mm -hmm. as I was going through it, if that makes sense. It does. It does make sense to me. It, it, it has given you meaning out of all that you went through. Yeah. And we have been fortunate to where we have been successful just from having that, that state of mind, you know, it's about helping people. It's about making sure they didn't, they don't go through the same thing. It's about helping families not have to put their kids through what we went through. Last thing you want your kids to think of is, did my mom and dad really care about me? Because there were years where I was so angry at my dad that I was like, how did he even love me? Did he even love me enough to get this in order? He left me such a mess to deal with. I mean, he was my hero. He had every single thing. He was a provider. He took care of everything. And after my mom died, it was like, he just either didn't care or thought he had more time. I don't know. Right. And then that he wasn't able to finalize that divorce before he passed. I just can't imagine what, what a mess that made things. It was horrible. And we had to go to court to try to fight against her. And we lost some things because of that decision. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine as it compiles you get more and more angrier and angrier and angrier mm -hmm. for a good time. I mean, I just, I really couldn't forgive him. Yeah. Cause you got it all dumped on you. Yeah. And I, that's another point that I would like to make for our listeners is if you want your children taken care of having a will, having beneficiaries on your accounts, all of that makes things so much simpler and it's so much less than of that burden that you leave on those left behind. Yeah. Cause when the state has to get involved, it takes a long, time. a long time and it's expensive, right? Yeah. Like for, I mean, I'm like, and I'm bringing this up as an example. Thank God I had my own resources because I couldn't even get into my dad's bank account to mm -hmm. even bury, to even do a proper funeral for him. Mm -hmm. I had to go into my own account and do that because his accounts were once somebody passes away, power of attorney doesn't work. Everything's held up in the estate. It's, it's, a, it's an ordeal. Yes. And so I can't imagine not being able to give my father a proper goodbye if I didn't have the resources. Right. Yes. So little things like payable on death, yeah. that certain funds, there's so much that can be done mm -hmm. ahead of time. And, and even I think just having a folder in your desk of where all your passwords are and your important, yeah. where are your accounts? And if you have 
even a, an extra set of keys to the house. If you are going to be that person, how do you get into the house to take care of things? There's just a lot of things that need to be taken care of. Yeah. And that's one thing that's unique about my husband and I, when we meet with clients is I put together a binder with all of that information for mm. them. So it has their life insurance policy. It has any accounts they open with us. They can add anything else that they don't have in there. We have somebody that we work with that they can get their wills and advance directives in order and everything's just in one place. And it's, it's the Ramirez family binder. So whoever is in charge will be able to know that God forbid, if something happens, this is what you need to look for. This is our contact. And we usually meet with those beneficiaries. So they have a name with the face. Oh, excellent. Because who wants to call an 800 number when your mom's just died and you've got to sit on an 800 number like I had to? I mean, what a freaking nightmare. That is a nightmare. huh? There's just so much involved in all of it. Yeah, just wondering what they had, what they didn't have. I knew a lot more when my mom was alive. But when my mom passed away, it was almost like my dad kind of wanted to keep us out of a lot of things. And I don't know if it was to shelter us or just because he just, I don't know, he, he, he was going through his own stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have to acknowledge that. So I don't know right. what frame of mind he was in. Right. And then when he got remarried, that shifted everything again. Yep. And then he has a new wife and it shifted everything. But the greatest gift I think that you can leave is having all of this in order and having yep. everything prepared. Julie, tell us a little bit of, about what you can offer our listeners. So I can offer um, hand-holding service that's unique enough to help you with all areas of your finances and buttoning down from your teaching you financial literacy to helping you budget, to helping you build your financial house to be the strongest, whether that's protecting your income with life insurance or that's saving for your your future, saving for your kids, advising you on what to do about setting up your wills and advanced directives. We have so many different partners and people that we work with that we're able to take a look at it holistically and be able to put together a complete strategy. Whereas you would have to go here for your insurance, over there for your investments, over here for something else. And then I just collect it all and I put it all together for them in one place. And then we do follow-ups every year because life's not the same year to year. Things change. Mm -hmm. So I make sure I keep in contact with them and we update it. So you're really talking about personalized, customized, Tony and Julie caring about your family. Like we're in your corner I have this thing, I said, well, you know, wouldn't you want to have somebody like us fighting for your family? Because we didn't have anybody. We did not have anybody. And the amount of knowledge and resources and things that we know and have now, we feel like then we can, we can add value to helping people not go through that, or at, at least teaching them something that they could take away from our story. I can only imagine how, when you had to go through this, and if you didn't have the resources 
you had to do the guardianship for your brother. That's, that's huge. That's a big thing. Huge, huge. I had no idea. I'm like, what lawyer do you even call for an estate? I didn't know there were separate lawyers. Yeah. State lawyer, guardianship attorney. And then there was the divorce situation. And then, then it was a lot of investigating stuff, just going through my dad's paperwork. If I found an attorney's name locally and I had to call and I said, Hey, do you happen to know if you have an updated copy of my dad's will? Did you do it? all of these things. And then mm -hmm. as the door closed on finding out the answer that I didn't want to find out, mm -hmm. you know, now you're stuck with what do I do now? Where do I go? And, and who's so going to advise you? Who's going to advise you? And I, I literally, I don't even know how I figured it out. I really don't know to this day, but, and the attorney fees, we had to, I had to pay for that too. So can you imagine how financially draining that was for me? to be able to manage my dad's business that is now he's sitting idle. And ha did that have to be closed down or? It has to be closed down. My dad and mom's house, it was sitting there and needed the lawn and pool and whatever to be. Up and the mortgage has to be paid, right? Yep. The mortgage was paid off and my dad ended up taking a second mortgage after my mom died. And so I was stuck with that. Yeah. And then my own stuff. So my, mm -hmm. my, I felt like I did everything I could to, to set myself up. And now because of somebody else's, and I would just say this, somebody else's mistake, it's like, I was, I was paying the price for it. So I really felt that for a long time, but I do feel like I don't know anybody else in my immediate family that could have handled that responsibility. My brother was too young. And, and my sister, she, she was in a different stage of her life. She hadn't been, she hadn't become a mom yet. And so it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. I did the best I could. Yeah. Sound like you did a great job and, and got it, got it done. Yeah. Got it all done. So I, that's my story. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a long story and there's more parts to it, but I was broken for a while, mm -hmm. but I was able to find my way. I think the greatest gift that you can leave to your family is to work with someone like Julie and put together a plan or put it all so that it's all in one place. And Julie has so graciously offered complimentary financial analysis for our listeners that she'll work with you and get you started. Julie, what else do you want to say about that? The best way to reach me is on my cell phone. Um, that is 813-431-5946. I'm happy to look at your financial situation holistically and give you a complimentary suggestion on a strategy that, that would work better for you. So, I mean, I, I would be happy and excited to do that for anyone that's interested. So make sure when you call Julie that you tell her you heard about her on Unbreakable Spirit, or you can use my name, Jennifer Seven, so she knows where you're coming from, because I know she'd like to, to help anyone not have to go through what she had to go through. And there, I'm sure, Julie, you have so many more stories of clients going through yeah. stuff. So if you, if you can avoid that and just have peace of mind and give your loved ones peace of mind and know that at least things are taken care of so that if something does happen, it's not going to be a big bomb that blows up in everybody's face. Yeah. I mean, I could have lost everything from my marriage to 
to my, I mean, I lost every single thing and, and he and I were able to build this business and come out of it stronger. I commend him for being a good partner and being patient. So that's the other message I want is for, if, if you know somebody that's struggling with, with any of this anxiety or depression or whatever, be a support, get them help, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, Julie, this is truly a story of an unbreakable spirit that you went through so much loss and then all this turmoil so much on so many levels, but, but you got through it. You never gave up when you put that one foot in front of the other, you got yourself some help, you got yourself healing, and now you're able to thrive in your, in your business and in your home. And how's your brother doing? My brother is fantastic. He actually, he works for us solar, but he actually has given his life to Jesus and he speaks to youth all over to basically encourage them to, to use that as an outlet to help them heal. And he has his journey and, and I feel excited for him because he could have gone the other way and taken a detour, but he, he's used it as a positive stepping stone. So I'm mm. proud of him. And he's 26 now. Wow. <laughs> so he enjoys being an uncle and, and enjoying his freedom. And I just really admire all of all that he's done. I always knew that he was like a little shining star, but to see it come like that after so much adversity, it's, it just mm-hmm. makes me so, so happy and proud. Oh, that's just amazing and fantastic. Yeah. Oh gosh, Julie. Well, thank you so much for sharing this story with us of, of again, what you've been through and the fact that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that there is help for anyone that needs help in this area and you can get through it. So again, another amazing unbreakable spirit. Thank you for sharing it all with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on Unbreakable Spirit. To learn more about Jennifer and her holistic weight loss approach, visit her website at sevencompany.com. That's the number seven, company.com. And please join us for our next episode where we'll hear from more women who overcame hardship and learned how to thrive.